Okay, this is Mariko Tamaki, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Have you been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone. Not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... It's definitely contrarian of us to do like this particular comic as a comic in, you know, whatever the comic industry. Uh, maybe it would seem normal if it was just like a TV show about fashion bloggers. Um, but in comics, it's like not that normal to do something with no superheroes and no, no real action. It's kind of an outlier. Uh, but, you know, Image is kind of a, a home for stuff like that. So yeah. that, you know, that was definitely part of why we went to Image in the first place. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to another episode of The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all those great places at The GBB Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Green. And today, this week, I'm joined by Shiri. Hello, Shiri. Hi, Jamie. I'm so excited that I get to do another interview with you. These are so much fun. Welcome back. We enjoy having you. This is um, one of the best things I ever did with this podcast was um, no no knock to Justin if he's listening, um, but sort of break, uh, switch it up a little bit and have different people come in. And it, I think it really freshened up the approach that we have. So uh, I love having you on. I love having Sam on. I love having Will occasionally and Anthony when he comes on. Um, nobody can replace Justin, obviously, and anybody who's listening knows that he's been taking a bit of a break recently. Um, but it's wonderful to have you back, Sherry. Thank you. How, ha- how have you been? I have been good. Busy, 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 busy reading. <laughs> yeah, that's um, all you do. Uh, besides, yeah, besides so ridiculous costumes by hand, that's pretty much all I do. <laughs> Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Shiri recently made the um, terrible life decision to take up cosplaying. It's Will's fault. <laughs> it takes over your life, apparently, is what I what I gather. It does, but you know, it's 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 a fun community too, for the most part. I mean, you know, they're always the outlying jerks in any community, but um, for the most part, it's it's a wonderful place, and it's a way it's a neat way to bond with people and. Um, Deepen friendships with people. You know, once you once you do a cosplay group with people, you're like friends for life. So yeah. So what are you working on now? I'm still working on. I'm doing the last hem on that um, Constantine trench coat I've been working on for like a month and a half. Mm. I have seen uh, the updates. So if anybody is curious, she you have been posting. I don't know if you've been doing it to Instagram. I'm not there very much, but I know on Twitter I've seen a whole bunch of updates. Um, like the the development of the trench coat, and it has been amazing to watch. Thank you. It's <laughs> I I don't get along very well with sewing machines, so I've been doing it by hand. Um, wow, which is slow, and probably I should figure out how to make up with sewing machines eventually. I don't know a trench coat and a sewing machine. That's just like asking for trouble. It that's true. That's true. And you know now I still have two other cosplays I have planned to start and finish before San Diego, which is in. 
like a month? Like a month and a half. What do you? So, so what are you hoping to bring with you to, to San Diego? I am bringing um, a Doctor Strange, which on Twitter and Instagram I also have pictures of posted uh, from a photo shoot my sister did for me. I have Constantine. I'm doing uh, like a formal dress uniform Shiro, which is kind of my own nice. creation. And um, a Kanan Luminara kind of mashup thing. Wow. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. So don't make, let's not make people wait until the very end of the episode when most people tune out. Where can they find those pictures? Tell them where you are online so they can go find uh, these amazing pictures. On Twitter, I am uh, SW Sondheimer. And on Instagram, I'm irate underscore Corvus. Angry, angry raven. <laughs> nice. Very yes. nice. Yeah, let's not, let's stop talking about Comic-Con we now. Should. Because I uh, recently found out that I can't go with this year. Ooh. I know. I'm so sad. The one weekend of the entire year. My sister lives in San Diego and she's who I crash with. And the one weekend of the entire year is when she decides to come here to visit. So she's <laughs> going to be the East Coast. And it's like, I can't just leave and go to San Diego because the cousins need to play and blah, 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 blah. Uh, we're, so, we're very bummed that you're not coming. I know. So am I. Anyway, moving on. This week... This week we are, well, this is the second episode this week, first of all. And if you haven't gone back to our, our first episode this week, please do. Um, you're a bit, little bit spoiled for content, those of you who are awesome enough to be subscribed to the podcast. Uh, earlier this week we had Pat Rothfuss, um, just an amazing interview. So do go check that out. Uh, but today's bonus second episode this week, Shiri and I had the pleasure of talking to Brian Lee O'Malley and Leslie Hung. Um, the two of them have been working on Snot Girl. Snot Girl is with Image Comics. And if you haven't read Snot Girl, if you haven't heard of Snot Girl, it, it's kind of hard to classify. It's kind of it hard to categorize. It's it's about, and see, even me just explaining what it's about is not going to do it justice. It's basically, it's about how social media and the and the the urge to put your perfect life forward um, has sort of become all-consuming. It's set in the the world of a fashion blogger. Uh, everybody seems very fake. Everybody seems not, you know, to be just sort of putting putting one image of themselves out there, like we all do on Twitter, Instagram. Um, but sort of then it dives a little bit deeper into that world and into those characters the farther in you go. And there's also a mystery element and a ghost story element. Um, it's a lot of different things that you sort of look at and think, well, how are those ever going to come together right. in any kind of cohesive story? But they do. And lots of snot. Lots of snot. <laughs> <laughs> um so the second trade the second collection just came out last month La the end of last month yeah the end of last month um and so if you're listening to this as we release it when the when the episode was new the book is also somewhat new mm -hmm. uh so it's the first 10 issues that's all there are at the moment but they've now been collected into two different trades um like i said they're from image they're pretty easy to find um but we had a pretty good conversation, I think, with oh, one thing I do need to mention is that when so when you do interviews, um, not everybody has super awesome microphones. Not everybody has a super awesome connection. Uh, unfortunately, the first 
I would say third, a quarter to a third of this interview with Brian, he was on just a kind of a wonky cell phone connection. So it's fine. It's we can, obviously we can hear him, um, but about a quarter or a third of the way through, he will just suddenly start to sound amazing. Uh, and what happened was uh, his cell, his phone connection just got you know worse and worse and worse, and he disconnected, and we just connected over Skype, which is what we should have done to begin with, but we didn't. That's okay. And then so once I loop him in on Skype, um, he sounds like 3,000% better. Obviously, I edited it together, so it's just going to sound like suddenly he just sounds amazing. That's what happens. That's why the audio changes. I just felt the need to explain what happened there. So you're not like, what? What just happened? Hashtag podcast life. <laughs> podcast life. Th- technical issues happen all the time. It's just, you know, whatever. We deal with it. And uh, it, so anything else to add before we dive in? It's uh, it's a great comic. So um, enjoy listening to them. Um, if you guys don't know, Brian is uh, also behind Scott Pilgrim. Right. So if that was something you liked then you should stay and listen and hear more about what he is doing now. Definitely. And another really interesting part about this, and then we'll both shut up. Um, you know, you mentioned Scott Pilgrim. So Brian, in all, of, I don't know all, but most of his previous books, he wrote Andrew. Uh, Snot Girl is the first time where he just wrote the book. He didn't draw it. And this also is the first time that Leslie has worked in comics. So it's kind of a first for them. And so they joke around a, a few times about saying like they're figuring out how to do it as they go because um, Brian isn't drawing and Leslie is doing all of the artwork, but she comes from sort of a more artistic illustrator background. And this is the first time that she's worked on a graphic novel or with monthly deadlines, that kind of thing. So uh, enjoy. And now we'll shut up. Uh, Brian, I read that you said Snot Girl is the story you have to write right now. Why is that? <laughs> um, that's hardball right away. Uh, <laughs> he does that. He's so mean. <laughs> uh, I didn't look up. Um, uh, I mean, it's just sort of the life that I've had the last few years has just revolved so much around social and uh, and that world and presentation and and like all the troubles that come with it um, has kind of just it's really been a huge part of my life just uh, I mean I guess and it's been like 20 years since I got online and, and first became an internet person uh, and I've seen all the changes in this like whole generation that has kind of uh, elapsed since then uh and it's uh it's a weird dark and disturbing time but i got in on the ground floor so i feel like i have this understanding of it and um and that's where i'm at yeah so how did the story originally come together like i mean so i understand you know, you're you're drawing on the real life that you you know that you've lived you know this online uh world that we all find ourselves in but this specific story like what was the initial uh drive to tell this story uh, I mean, the initial drive was just to make uh, Leslie make comics. And yeah. <laughs> I, wanted to, I, wanted to, I wanted to come up with something that would, would be something that she would have uh, a good time drawing uh, or that would work really well with what she naturally does. Because I feel like when you make comics, 
you really have to play to your strengths. And um, Leslie's strengths are drawing, you know, beautiful, emotional people and clothes and, uh, and lovely. So uh, it made a lot of sense to set it in sort of like Instagram world. Yeah. Uh, Le- Leslie, this was your first jump into comics and, and graphic novels. Was there a big learning curve for you? Or did you take to the format pretty easily? Um, I mean, I guess when we first started, I didn't really even know anything about monthly comics. Yeah. So it was we kind of just like jumped into it. And I kind of expected it to be difficult, but I, I always like... I always underestimate how much work it takes to make a comic. Um, I definitely feel like I've gotten more of the hang of it now. It's like, it's, I don't know. I The first five issues were definitely a pretty steep learning curve, but I feel like by the end it was coming out pretty fast, but yeah. I don't know. It's, it's all a blur to me. <laughs> Was it was it was it the schedule like the 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 fast pace that you had to work on to get out a monthly book, or was it just that that sequential storytelling that you found difficult? It's not so much a sequential storytelling. I think we're just not super fast. Like <laughs> it, it was getting it was getting like pretty much down to the wire, and we'd probably have like a month to do each book from start to finish, and it was it was getting really crazy. <laughs> yeah. What is your collaborative process like? Do you guys work as a unit or, you know, does the script come first and then the art and then you come back together? How do you guys manage that? Um, I guess, I guess uh, usually it's like an outline first, right? Basically. Yeah, I'll just kind of throw Leslie's uh, the basic idea for the next issue or, you know, the next few issues and um, and we'll talk it out. But we, we generally go back and forth a lot. I feel like we do we probably go back and forth more than a lot of writer artist collaborations just because we want to really generate the story together. Uh, it's really character based. We came up with the characters together and, um, I feel like Leslie knows what makes them tick sometimes better than I do because she draws them so much. She spends so much time looking at them. Um, uh, you know, as an artist myself, I feel like that part of the process brings out so much of the characters that I want to really let it live. Was that collaboration, was it hard to get used to for either of you? Because, I mean, I don't want to say that you both come from, you know, these places of working in isolation, but um, you did work, you, you have had experiences where you were the only person really to be attached to a project, you know, you, whether that was just your illustrations or, you know, Brian, in your case, where you were writing and drawing, you know, you didn't really have that other half of a project. So did this, did that throw any wrenches in the works or did you both take to it pretty easily? I don't think it was too bad. I am used to working alone mostly, but I feel like it'd be more difficult if we didn't work mm-hmm. this way. I think, I think I'd be more frustrated if I couldn't just talk to Brian and be like, I don't know what's going on in the scene and um, vice versa. Like if we didn't have that open communication, I think it just, I feel like the book would suffer from it a lot. Yeah. Um, I sort of like categorizing my books um, and this one, Smart Girl was kind of hard for me to sort of pick out sort of the, the influences and I, I kind of came up with like a Yure story and some Jillian Flynn and some Nancy Drew and some Mean Girls. Um, what are some of the actual works that inspired you guys? Um, Jillian Flynn is a uh, that's Gone Girl, right? Uh-huh. I remember Gone Girl yeah. came out right around the time we were starting uh, working on Snark Girl, so it was definitely uh, an ambient influence. 
But what about well, the I didn't even know about it. <laughs> Gone Girl? Did uh, you see it? I, I, hadn't, I hadn't even heard about Gone Girl until I watched it. So I didn't... It wasn't like a oh, yeah. thing Yeah, Gone Girl. I just remember it being... Uh, I just remember being really impressed with the movie. I never read the book. Uh, but when I saw that movie, which was... I think it was in 2014. This was around the time we were first uh, planning the, the comic. Um, so it was definitely like, oh, we can do something like this? That's cool. So there was that like element of like a little bit. It was it felt a little freeing to see that movie. You know, yeah, I remember. Sorry, go oh, ahead. Sorry, no, go, go ahead. And I just remember that Brian Brian like saw Gone Girl and he was like, "We can't have a character named Cool Girl. There was a Cool Girl in Gone Girl." And I was like, "I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> we just have to do it." <laughs> yeah, you were right. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm you... always right. <laughs> Brian, you mentioned that. You know, um, you wanted to just write a story that would appeal to uh, Leslie and to something that she would want to draw. So, is that why you chose a fashion blogger? Like, was was it the the look of that world, or what? What made you think that that would make an engaging protagonist? I guess. Uh, well, I mean, I think we Leslie and I had been friends for a couple of years before we started uh, working together, and I think we had always talked about fashion bloggers, like. Leslie's the only person I know who is like as interested in the, the concept of fashion blogging as I was. Yeah. Uh, so when we started talking about characters, that the very first thing that came out, like Leslie had this idea to do something about a fashion blogger. Is this a story that could have been told like 10 or 15 years ago, or is this very much a 2018 story? I think it's very now for sure. Like, I don't, I feel like, if it was a story, if it was like the same characters, but ten years ago, it'd be a completely different book. Yeah, in a lot of ways, like just the way that yeah. they, the places that they all are um, mentally is very different because of the times and like you know the way that the world has changed so much. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the way people approach culture and and their own lives has like changed a lot uh, in the last few years, especially in places like LA, like in big cities. Um, you know, everyone sort of on social media all the time, kind of curating their lives, kind of in this weird unspoken competition with everyone else around them to have like the most photogenic life or the the least troubled seeming life. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's, it's very much like a, you know, it's, it's of this time for sure. How, how integral is LA? Like, I mean, could, do you think that you could have set this anywhere else or is it really like, this is just, this is the most LA of LA stories. You go ahead. <laughs> it's very like Southern California. Like I remember when I first started looking at fashion blogs when I was probably like a late teen, I was always seeing these like beautiful girls from from like Southern California and I was like, Oh, they can actually like do things too. Like they're they're not like models. They're they obviously like a lot of them are very conventionally attractive, but they weren't they weren't like what I would expect to see. Like they weren't what I saw in magazines and they were kind of just living their like LA lives and I'm from Southern California, Southern California as well. So it was kind of like, it was kind of aspirational in the sense that I'm like, I can do things that aren't just what you'd expect Mm. just because of where I'm from or just, or how I grew up. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, fashion bloggers are, uh, they're just like in this weird middle space between, uh, you know, corporate, you know, or like Hollywood actors and, you know, models and uh, people who really made it to like the other side versus like the normal masses. Um, 
you know, fashion bloggers kind of emerged as this uh, middle ground, uh, which that, that has always been really interesting to me, just having watched that develop in the past 10, 15 years, um, just from like what Leslie was saying, uh, basically just like teenagers doing their thing, dressing up, like trying to look cool. Um, and it just, it, it kind of got co-opted by the larger culture and by the corporations. And it's, it's becoming this weird hybrid. How, Leslie, how does the color palette factor into all of that? Cause it's some, it's like, it's a ge- sort of a general shift in comics to using these sort of more neon family colors. Um, is that a mm-hmm. Southern California influence or is that from what you're seeing on the fashion blogs? How has that kind of come about? I guess it's like a bit of like fashion editorial influence and also like the fantasy version of LA. Like I don't think LA actually looks like that all the time, but um, I work pretty closely with the colorist to try to get the right mood across, like whether, whether it's realistic or whether it's like more neon and colorful. Um, I do think that the color is like a huge part of Snot Girl. Like it would, it just wouldn't be the same book if it was in black and white, like the green hair, on top of everything else is like it's it's almost like its own character as well uh you guys are both neither one of you uh you're not really you're not fashion bloggers but you both have these uh you're both in the public eye you both have a pretty massive online following how much of your own neuroses and anxieties did you put into the book and how much did you just sort of draw from from elsewhere <laughs> Uh, all of them yeah like 100 percent. that's part of why it's so hard to write this book it's kind of funny because people like hate how superficial everyone is and it's not girl and then i'm like oops like (laughs) (laughs) it's just kind of like this like undercurrent of anxiety about posting online and kind of just being your authentic self while being also like a better version of yourself um, I think it's just inevitable online. I don't I don't know if there's anyone that's perfectly mastered being nonchalant without seeming super pretentious about it. Right. Well, and that's cool girl is like that she is this like unpretentious, uh, you know, she she just posts what she is and like that's just what she is. There's no fakery. Um, and like that's that's the whole of being online. But it's such a it's such a fantasy that she becomes this kind of like weird untenable fantasy figure yeah is there an end to that i mean in reality i'm like moving away from the book you know like we've all been so consumed by social media and you know social media is now where news happens you know and it's where politics happens Mm -hmm. it's where life happens i mean is is from your perspective since you know like you know at least brian you said you've been there since the beginning like so much of your life has been wrapped up in that like where do we go from there? Like, is is there turning back? Is there any chance to reclaim privacy or to to just step back out of public eye? I don't know. Uh, I I feel like there isn't. Really? I feel like you have to, we have to push through somehow, or maybe it's all just going to collapse. It's going to like social media, Twitter will fall like the Berlin Wall or something. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> <know>. <laughs> well, and I feel like even um, you know some of the especially, you know, female comics writers who have stepped back always ultimately end up, you know, coming back. And that's not, you know, that's not a, a judgment call. That's not a judgment for me in any way. It's just, you know, how are you supposed to get your work out there without it at this point? 
I'm always telling Brian that it's like our real lives used to be like our actual lives used to be our real lives, like where we'd be most public. And then our online lives were like where we hid away just to be like little trolls and like doing doing like things that we wouldn't normally do in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of shifted with social media. Like it's our internet personas are like our, our so-called like real selves. Like it's like our outward facing selves and our real lives are more private. So it's kind of, it's like a weird, it's kind of weird that it flipped in that way just because I feel like a lot of people aren't totally aware of why that happens or that it has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I feel like, I feel like a lot of it is just people having to realize that, like, it's so cliche and, like, it's kind of like an old curmudgeon thing to say, but I feel like we need to realize that there's life beyond <laughs> beyond Twitter and Instagram and <laughs> we need to, like, stop having to expose every single part of ourselves and, like, justify that, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so if we push through to the other side and we just keep going, like, what's on the other side? You know, like, what... So, like... What would what would what would the world look like at this point if if Twitter just collapsed tomorrow? I'm just I mean like checking. (laughs) Like I don't know. Like it's weird to think about. And this is not this is not a question that I would have even thought of like five or ten years ago. But it's become so wrapped up in everyday life that like it's kind of unthinkable what it would be like. Yeah, Um, I mean I I I feel like in a way it'd be a, a relief or something like. But we would definitely miss it. I think that there's no case in which we suddenly, we have something one day and suddenly don't have it the next day where we're totally okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think it'd be kind of, I don't know, it'd be kind of freeing, I think. (laughs) Um, Would it be freeing for you personally? I think in a way, yeah. I'd be like, I, I think I'd be kind of sad to not have that outlet anymore, but there is so much expectation that goes into um, tweeting and just like and posting online that sometimes it's kind of it it is kind of tempting to just be like maybe I'll just like disconnect for a week and like yeah. see what happens and like usually nothing happens and it's not like it's not a life or death <laughs> thing either and it's, life <laughs> life goes on so I feel like we'd be okay even if we were missing it for sure. Is there a platform that you prefer? For instance, I I prefer Instagram. I started cosplaying about a year ago. So all my cosplay mm-hmm. buddies are on Instagram and I find it generally more pleasant than other platforms. Is there one that you prefer? Either for sharing I, your work or just socially? I guess I I guess I kind of like Instagram. I used to like it a lot more and then I feel like people got really weird on Instagram and then they kind of changed the rules and, and then it made it even weirder. Like the algorithm makes everyone crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and then people leave like really trolly comments all the time. And it's, and it was like kind of stressful for me for a while. And then now it's not really, it's kind of leveled out. Like it's not as stressful. Like the same with Twitter. I, I feel like the same towards both of them more or less. Um, I think I do like Instagram more just because there is, uh, I just like the visual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of posting, I don't know. I feel like I haven't really found one that <laughs> I'm like super into at the moment. But it, it might just be like the social media anxiety um, mm-hmm. problem instead of instead of like me not actually liking the platform. You know, being that Instagram is visual, um, are there any 
other artists that you particularly enjoy looking at or that you find are influential um, with your art? On Instagram or just in general? In general. But I, so I've recently started following more artists on Instagram because it makes it fun to mm-hmm. share. So. I think we both really like Jaime Hernandez. He's, on, he's pretty active on Instagram. He's always posting his like process hmm. uh, work with his pencils and his inks and stuff. I always like reading his comics and looking at his art. Um, yeah, it's nice to have know, like I'm a like, like a master on Instagram. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's like really amazing. Um, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank right now. I know that always happens when. <laughs> I mean, honestly, whenever I think about it, like. I mean, it drives me a little crazy, and I know I do the same thing, but when you're on Instagram, it's the same as being a fashion blogger. Like, when you're an artist, you start kind of pandering to people because whatever gets the most likes is, like, what you're going to focus on unconsciously. Um, so I feel yeah. like every every artist on Instagram kind of, like, is just kind of shuffling towards this, like, middle ground of, like, what's the most popular. Yeah, Definitely. And I, I've seen that, again, I, I'm not on Instagram as much, but I'm on Twitter almost all the time. And I, I also follow a lot of artists on there. And that, um, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm blanking on what it is right now, but that sketch a day where they give you a prompt and then everybody <laughs> sketches the same thing. Like, mm. I love it because oh, it, show, it shows a lot of diversity in people's styles. Um, but it, yeah. do, it does seem like so many people are doing exactly that. Like, they're just like... You know, here's you know Harry Potter, or here's the Han Solo and Lando. You know, like they're not they're less inclined to do their own unique art, and rather than do like here's my take on whatever the current hot pop culture thing is. Right. It's not even like their deep fandom. It's just like whatever yeah. everyone is drawing this week. Yeah. It's like what we're in. You know, I don't. This is not going to release in May, but right now we're in the middle of May, so there's this whole mermaid thing. I don't know when this started. I think it was a couple of years ago when everybody draws mermaids in, the, in May. And I love it. At the beginning of May, I like it. I think it's really cool. But by the end of May, I'm like, oh, my God, stop with the mermaids, you know? But So, I mean, do you, Leslie, I guess, do you get sucked into any of that? Or do you try to just stay away from it because you'd rather focus your you know, creative energies on something that matters more to you? I feel like I'm actually really, like, bad about this because I hate I hate like everything to do with that (laughs) I'm like I'm very much so like I will not do something that someone requests even if I had thought of doing it before I'd be like I don't want to do that just because someone asked I'm like that with books if a book gets really popular I say I'm not gonna read that now (laughs) then I read it five years later it's so bad and it annoys me like if I really want to like read or watch something that I will watch it anyway but I don't want to do like Stranger Things fan art if I don't like Stranger Things or like just anything else I don't want to I don't want to like endorse something that I'm not into I guess Mm -hmm. um and the same with like themed themed drawing months like I don't like I think I feel like that started with like Inktober or something and I was like I'm inking all the time already though it's like not not like restricted to a month and it just felt really ridiculous and every time i posted something in october that was an ink drawing they're like oh this is your inktober and it, it was just got like so annoying and like i mean I, I feel like i feel like i'm i don't know even if i actively push against it it's not like people are going to stop thinking those things and it's not like those things are going to stop existing because i don't like them but yeah. i don't know I, I i do feel like i have to actively or not actively, I have to, like, fight against it in a way, even though it doesn't actually matter in the end. Yeah. 
But it it, it it doesn't matter in the end, you're right. But it also seems like those theme months and those, you know, today where everybody's drawing dragons or whatever it might be, <laughs> th- those are the images that get shared because that's what's the current yeah. thing. And, you know, I mean, so there's got to be part of you that's be, that's like, well, all right, maybe I should just draw, you know, wrestlers today because that's what everybody else is doing. And I can get my name out there, you know, I, or people can share and I can get a few more followers and then they can they can come see the real art that I do. Right. Yeah, I guess so. But I also feel like I'm I'm so like I've been into drawing girls for the past few years and that's like what I do. And I yeah. think people expect that. Yeah. And I still like drawing girls. So it's like I don't really I guess I don't feel that pressure. I mean, I, I'm sure that. I could wake up tomorrow and just want to be drawing Deadpool fan art all the time, but you know that's that's a problem for for me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like Leslie and I are both very kind of um, contrarian or like anti-authoritarian in a way. Yeah, and, and so anytime, like, yeah, anytime there's like a herd going one way, we're like, let's go the other way. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say it's kind of like Snot Girl as well, like how it's difficult to categorize, just because I thought it was ridiculous that there were categories and then. Once the book came out, I was like, oh, wait, it's actually, like, kind of a thing. It's not not like totally stupid. It's kind yeah. of useful. <laughs> right. It's kind of like the tyranny of genre. It's actually, it does have a use, but um, I've always railed against it, too. Like, all my books are a combination of genres. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was going to say, just based on this conversation and what you guys are saying, how you try to push against the tide and, and go against the current of what everybody else is doing, it's it's ironic that you're telling this story about meeting expectations and getting likes and, and, and putting yourself out there on social media, but in in a format that is so hard to define. You know, it's, it's, it's this weird balancing act you guys are doing where you're telling one story but actively rebelling against it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're always yeah. like not focusing on like the thing that everyone wants us to focus on because yeah. I think it's frustrating to want to like play to people's expectations in a way. Like, I've never liked doing the predictable thing. I've always liked being kind of like getting a reaction where it's like I didn't expect you to do that, or like I didn't, I wasn't thinking that it was going to go this way. Does that make the reviews and the criticisms, both positive and negative, more? Um... I guess valuable because you, I mean, you're doing what you want and you're not going to meet expectations, I guess. So if somebody is just like really hates it online and starts tearing it apart, I mean, does that, do you take that in a different way than if you were doing Deadpool art and they, they tore it apart? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind I of a weird like... question. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also sort of as a corollary to that, to maybe, I don't know, help frame it a little bit. Does the fact that it's, for image does it not matter as much Mm. um it's it's definitely contrarian of us to do like this particular comic as a comic in you know whatever the comic industry uh it's um maybe it would seem normal if it was just like a tv show about fashion bloggers um but in comics it's like not that normal to do something with no superheroes and no no real action uh, it's it's kind of an outlier. So, uh, but, you know, Image is kind of a, a home for stuff like that. So yeah. that, you know, that was definitely part of why we went to Image in the first place. Yeah. Um, you guys are, I, I, there's going to be a break after issue 10, which is where volume two ends. Why is that? 
Yeah, well, we've we've been figuring out how to make a comic for this entire time. Um, <laughs> but you know, the second arc was bi-monthly, and then we took a slightly longer break after issue ten, just um, partly because we both went on trips. Uh, Leslie went to Tokyo, mm-hmm. I went to Spain for a convention. Um, but yeah, no, it's coming back in August. Uh, it just got announced this week. Awesome. So, does that time away? Um, with Snot Girl particularly, but I guess with any project, if you take a break, does that help you to refresh and sort of come back to it with new ideas, or does it just take you out of the project entirely? It's a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go say the same. I was like, I don't how. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like trying. I feel like by the end of each arc, I'm like in my best shape um, for drawing the comic and also for thinking about it. And then, but I also need a break. Like, there's no way it's not really sustainable just because of how involved we are. Um, but yeah, we're, I'm working on the new issue right now. So (laughs) it's a bit of a struggle. Yeah. At the end of an arc or at the end of a graphic novel. Yeah. I'm always like in the best, uh, creative shape, but also the most burnt out. So you, you just need a break. You need to like recharge and actually live your life a bit and get more inspiration and outside influences because otherwise we're just living in our heads and freaking out a lot. And I noticed a lot of the the image books do that. They take longer breaks at various points, either sometimes between issues and then sometimes between arcs. Is that another advantage of of being with them over one of the other, um, you know, smaller presses, but that still wants your stuff out absolutely monthly? I mean, I think it's pretty much up to the creator. Um, Well, certainly at Image, it's up to the creator. Uh, So it's, this is just as fast as we can go. Like, I wish we could get it out monthly uh but it just was killing us for the first arc to try and do that um but image uh you know image is a, is a pretty good home and i think that format is sort of it's modeled after like tv which is sort of what we have to compete with to some degree like we we're competing with like that attention share for young readers and consumers of media uh you know there's so many more screens around now than there were when i was growing up uh, you know, there's so much, so many more, uh, so much more competition for your attention. So we have to make something that uh, that creatively can can compete a little bit with with uh, that TV experience, which is otherwise so much more powerful than what we can make. Brian, I read an interview you did a little bit ago. Uh, you talked about how you, um, I guess, particularly when you were younger, and I don't know if it's still true now, but how you didn't feel a strong connection to any one culture whether that was Korean or Canadian or American, and how it, when you were a kid, you didn't see yourself as having a mixed heritage. You just saw yourself as, this is me, this is who I am. Um, looking back, is there any part of you that wishes uh, that mixed heritage had been more prominent, had been more a part of your life earlier on? Uh, I mean, it was, it was a part of my life. It's just, it's not really, um, it wasn't really part of my public-facing life. Right. Uh, you know, all... all most of the Korean people I knew were my own family, basically, growing up. Uh, so it was always very internal for me. Um, but, you know, with Snot Girl, we're hoping to explore that more because the character is supposed to be uh, mixed. So in the, in the next arc, we're actually getting into her family a bit more. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how, how conscious was it for both of you to inject that, you know, that quote-unquote diversity, like to, 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 to put other faces in there and to have your story and to, to have that representation like how, how consciously did you guys do that 
I mean, I guess I didn't realize how important it was until much later. Like, it was kind of just a thing because of, like, the bloggers who inspired the story who aren't, like, mm-hmm. exactly in the book, but, you know, they still had some way of informing the way that I came up with the characters and, like, thought of their designs and just what they wore. And I think until like, it wasn't until much later where I was kind of realizing that the reason why I gravitated towards a lot of those bloggers that were so um, prominent and they still are really prominent was because they were Asian and I never really saw that in popular media. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's still really hard now. Like there's not really anything out there that isn't that is for like Asian Americans. So it was kind of it's been interesting. It's like it's a journey. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's a, that's a big thing because in you know in mainstream culture we don't see our faces represented as much. Um, but when yeah. the fashion bloggers started up, especially in SoCal, which is very heavily Asian, um, you know you see a lot more Asian faces, uh, and they're they're making names for themselves in this new way that they, you know, that they found that that was given to them like in on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of it's honestly like it reminds me of how I started my career. Like I don't know if I would have had the same career if the internet hadn't been blowing up around me at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the reason I bring this up is, I mean, it's, I, I think it's a fascinating issue. Uh, you know, so my wife is Chinese, so my kids are mixed race, and but they don't, I don't know that they necessarily see themselves that way. I think they do to an extent, but so my daughter's in third grade and I look around at her classmates and I see that she is not alone. You know, there are so many kids that are, a mix of of something and something else that it's this is the new normal like this is they're not um the i don't want to use the word sore thumb but you know they're they're not the ones standing out and saying saying i why do i look different why do i feel different um right and and Mm -hmm. i i had uh mariko tamaki on the show and she said exactly the same thing that when she was young she never saw herself as half japanese or half anything and it wasn't an issue until she grew up and i guess the other people made her realize that that's what she was Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, do you see a new normal developing? Like, do you see uh, Asian kids and mixed race kids today having a different time of it than you might have when you were younger? I mean, I I guess I always used to think that the world was heading towards this, like, uh, you know, melting pot. Sort of like everyone's going to be just tan in the yeah. same race uh, someday. But I don't know. Having lived now in America for 10 years in in the U.S., it's like, I don't know, it's way more deeply messed up than that. (laughs) So uh, I have no idea, you know, if it's going to if anything is going to stick. But yeah, like what you said, I mean, uh, that's really cool that uh, your kids are mixed. And um, a lot of my generation, I think, has married mixed and like it's, you know, having mixed kids. And like that's that's really cool for me personally like i i would like more of the world to resemble me in some way uh because i've always just felt like a complete weirdo so uh you know that's that's encouraging and it's encouraging as a parent too to see work being put out there um that also represents them you know and it's um it's it makes me happy that there are things that I can put in their hands or I say you know sit down watch this or sit down read this and um, they can they can see that they're not alone you know even though there might be you know five six seven eight other kids in their classroom that look the same or is also mixed heritage you know it's 
it's great that, you know, there are things, there's art being put out in the world that also represents them. Right. And like, I feel like I've been chastised a little for Snot Girl because in interviews like this, we end up talking about the mixed thing a lot. And then it's not really in the book. It's not represented in the book so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hopefully we're going to correct that as time goes on. It's just there's been a lot of stuff to get through in the book so far. Well, so let me ask you then, because um, how do you feel about that? I mean, I know when you're a storyteller, the story is what's most important. You, know, you want to establish your characters and tell the story. And often, you know, you don't want to dwell on saying, well, this person has this heritage or this person looks like this. You know, I mean, because it's been in the news, you know, J.K. Rowling went back and, and retroactively changed some of her characters, you know, and right. the writer of the new Han Solo movie has gone back and said, you know, like, oh, Lando Calrissian is pansexual, even though he wrote the movie yeah. and could have put something to that, you know, put yeah. that in there, but he didn't, you know. So, I mean, as storytellers yourselves, like, how do you feel about that going back and saying, well, actually, that was in there the whole time. You just didn't really know. Uh, I think it's bullshit, but, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, it's like Snoggirl was not intended to be like about uh, a racial experience necessarily. Uh, it's about all this other stuff. But when you start digging into a character's psychology, like, you know, who they are, where they're from, who their parents were, like that all applies. So as we get deeper and deeper into Snoggirl, I think we'll get more into a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, and I'm, I, I don't mean to say that I'm, I'm accusing you guys of this because I think oh, what no, you, no. No, I think what you're doing is what I was saying is is the logical way to do it. It's a logical way to tell a story. You know, you establish the world, you establish the characters, and then you go back and explore who they are and where they came from because that might not be the most important part of the story, and it probably isn't. Um, you know, it's just that you know I've been seeing this more and more where people go back and they try to tweak the story that they did tell, even though that's now over. In saying, you know, actually that was in there. I just you didn't bother to see it, even though I didn't well, bother to write it. But also on the flip side, there was a. I don't was either of you guys at Emerald City Comic Con this past year? No, mm, no, not this year. Okay, so there was a panel where they specifically talked about the panel itself was specifically about joy in queer literature but one of the things that they talked about um that was a significant part of the panel was that you don't have to not every book is about that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know not every book has to be about race not every book has to be about sexuality there can be a, a gay character in this case without it being a thing it can just be and to have the expectation that all of these emphases are going to be in a single book, every book at, you know, the responsibility of every author is, is kind of a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Snot Girl is about so much stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you read it, like on some level, it's like a, you know, kind of coming out gay awakening kind of story. But like, that's not really also what it's about at the core. So it's just there's a huge mix of things. Um, I guess it's like about identity in, in general. So there's a million things that go into that. Do you guys listen to music when you create, when you write or when you draw? Or do you have to do it in silence? I know there are people who do both. Uh, I mostly listen to podcasts, but I like, I have to zone out <laughs> <laughs> significantly. Yeah, when I'm drawing, I like to listen to uh, spoken stuff as well, like audiobooks, podcasts, whatever. Um, when I'm writing, I listen to a lot of music, though. Yeah. yeah, just because you can't 
need not as much distraction, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, you you need a certain headspace, so I feel like p- making the right uh, music playlist or whatever will really help me just to get in the zone. Uh, you know, like for Snockerl, I've been working on this Spotify playlist since the beginning, uh, and it's it's huge. It's like six hours long now, uh, so I can just listen to it forever. And that's what you that's what you write to. Uh, generally, yeah, and I'll always have a new one going. Um, that'll add on to the big playlist after I finish the current issue. What's out there that you guys are enjoying reading right now? Anything in particular? Or something that you go back to if you get stuck? Like comics? Anything. (laughs) Comics is reading. I I tell my kids that all the time. (laughs) I read very little. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to... I I go through phases, yeah. Um, I'm reading a lot of... uh, I started reading my old Diana Wynne-Jones books again. Um, She was my favorite author when I was a kid. And I guess she still kind of is my favorite author. Um, So I've been rereading those. Um, The last thing I was doing was trying to read The Lord of the Rings. I didn't I didn't get that far. I read it when I was I read it when I was a kid, but I was like, I think I should read it now that I'm grown up, and uh, it's not it's not working out. I have tried to read Lord of the Rings several times, and I always I always die out like less than a hundred pages in every time. Yeah, I probably I made I like two hundred. Yeah, I think I only read the second one, and I was like, these trees are cool, but I don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's all I remember. Right, maybe I'll watch the extended edition of the movie instead. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's really thing. it's fun to read. Like it's it's I don't know. I was saying to someone, it's like sitting like by a fire and like smoking a pipe or something. Like it's very like rich and like not I don't know. Not a lot happens. There's a lot of like kind of goofy stuff in it, um, and it's it's really enjoyable. But at the same time, I'm just like I. I need to do other stuff right now. <laughs> I tried to read my son the graphic novel version of The Hobbit. He's eight. I think he was seven at the time. This is a child who has infinite tolerance for fantasy, for science fiction. We started reading him Rick Riordan's books when he was two. Damn. And he would sit through uh-huh. them. And he was. we got through three pages. And he looks at me and goes, Mommy, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... <laughs> I I read Lord of the Rings when I was like eight, nine years old, and I also read all of the Dragonlance books around that time. So I was super into fantasy at that age. Yeah. Yes. The thing with Lord of the Rings is I I again I read them when I was younger. I recently reread The Hobbit, but exactly what you guys are saying, it feels like work. And you sit down to read it, and it's I don't find myself enjoying it as much as I feel like this is an assignment I have to get through. Mm-hmm. Which is right. a shame. You lose your geek credentials if you don't read it. Exactly. <laughs> There's just so much card. other stuff now. It and really it's like, is. it's one of those key texts that has reverberated through the culture so much that we've seen everything in it. Like everything good in it has been, you know, refined and honed over the years to like, we know it so well that reading The Lord of the Rings is almost like an afterthought. Yeah. That's so true because, you know, the references in it. Everybody knows, have, even if they haven't read the book, and you know, yeah. again, the the stories and the and the the little morality tales and everything that were that makes the, that story so great has been adapted and and taken out and told in a different way, like retold as a different story. And sometimes those things are more enjoyable, as much as I hate to admit it. It's just mm-hmm. from a different time. It's a yeah. totally like two, three generations removed. So it's. Uh... 
you know, it's, I don't know, it's timeless in a way, but it's also, it takes up too much of our time now. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, two, three generations from now, they're going to be looking back and be like, oh, those people with their Twitters and their tweets, what were they thinking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Will they, will they even remember Twitter? Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, we'll, hopefully there will be people still around to remember something. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, something I notice whenever you're on, one of the things you like to ask is whether they listen to music while they're working, whether it's mm-hmm. writing or drawing. Is that something that you do? Do you have to do you listen to music? Almost always. Really? Yeah. It's very rarely silent when I'm writing. Um, when I'm writing, I usually listen to music because I don't want to <laughs> lose my focus. Um, when I'm doing cosplay stuff, actually, um, I've started listening to audiobooks because one of my friends, I said, oh, you know, I'm out of TV shows I've watched a bunch of times. Um, I'm kind of out of background noise, Um, but I don't, I have a hard time watching anything new when I'm working, uh, when I'm sewing, because then I'm not paying attention to sewing and I mess up or I don't get enough done. Um, And she said, oh, well, when I'm, working on my cosplay stuff, I listened to audiobooks. And I was like, oh, I think I've, <laughs> I think I've listened to 10 books in the last month. And in fact, um, one of the interview opportunities that you passed along to me, I caught up on uh, two of Jim Butcher's books that I hadn't read yet on audio while I was sewing. Which was yep. awesome. <laughs> no, I am a huge. I've said this before. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. Um, we've actually had a number of audiobook narrators on the podcast. Uh, it's most people don't see it as reading in you know in air quotes, but it's if they're unabridged, it's like somebody's reading to you. I mean, it's when I worked at home a lot less, and I actually had to drive into the office. I had like an hour, hour and a half commute each way. You can get a lot of reading done if you're listening to an audiobook in the car. Yeah. And that's what I would do is I would listen to an audiobook. I've done that on commutes too. And it actually, honestly, I'm a pretty fast reader. So mm-hmm. listening to the audiobook is actually takes longer for me than sitting and reading the book would. Um, so I because they because they read it slower than you would read it. Right. Um, and it just so happens actually that, uh, James Marsters reads the Dresden Files books Mm -hmm. and he is phenomenal. So they're each 15 hours, but, uh, it just flew by because listening to him was so amazing. Yeah. The best part of Buffy right there. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, well, thank you, Shiri, for coming back. Uh, we do enjoy having you, and I have a feeling there will be more episodes with you coming up in the near future. Oh, well, I certainly hope so. Oh, I certainly. I, I, it's, I don't even hope so. I know you'll be here. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you all for listening, coming back week after week, hitting subscribe, listening to us ramble. We really do appreciate it. If you like the show, drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any guest ideas, somebody you'd like to see. Leave us a review on the iTunes, on the Stitcher, on the Google Play, on wherever you find the podcast. Um, reviews help us get out there. They help the algorithms um, so other people can find us. Uh, so we really do appreciate it. And uh, I am Jamie at the Roarbots pretty much everywhere. 
And I am Sherry at SW Sondheimer on Twitter and at irate underscore Corvus on Instagram. And thank you guys again. We will see you next week. Take care. Have a good one.